0: Uh, As we look today in Matthew chapter 6, we are continuing our series uh, that we've been going through this summer on Jesus' teaching uh, that's often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. So we've spent the last couple uh, weeks uh, starting in chapter 5 and looking at what Jesus has to say to us. And uh, kind of the big takeaway from all of this as we've been um, from, the, from the very beginning, is that what we've heard is Jesus is teaching, and there's all these people coming and listening, and the crowds are listening to him and recognizing in him and in his teaching something different than the teaching they're used to hearing. And they're used to hearing their scribes, they're used to hearing their leaders teach in a way that, that says, based on what others have said, based on what God has said, based on these other sources, here's what we think you should do, here's how you should apply it. Jesus comes in, and he teaches in a totally different way. And the word that Matthew uses that we've seen in Matthew chapter 5, and again at the end of Matthew 7, to describe the way Jesus is teaching is he says Jesus is teaching with authority. Jesus has authority, and it's a different kind of authority than what they're used to, because it's not a borrowed authority. It's not an authority based on his sources. It's based on him. Jesus speaks, and Jesus' teaching by itself, because of who he is and because of what he has done and will do, he is able to speak in a way that just says, this is the truth. And people recognize when he says that, that it is true, that Jesus actually has the authority and the ability to just speak in a way that is totally different than anything they've ever heard. Now, not everybody listening believes him. Not everybody listening is fully bought in and following him, but they all hear in him something Different. And so we've been looking at this and saying, what is it that's different? And where does Jesus teaching? Because he's coming from, from himself, and he's a different type of authority than we're used to. We all have our own sources of authority. We all listen to different voices. And a lot of what we think is based on what we feel, but it's also based on, on other things we've heard and other places that, that we take information in from. And because that's true, there are going to be places where if Jesus is Jesus, and he's God, and he has full authority, and he's right all the time, there's going to be places where we bump into what Jesus is teaching, and it's going to feel different. And it's going to feel, at times for us, challenging. Because our authority is going to conflict with Jesus' authority. And one of the the, the ways that we've seen that over the last three weeks, we've been looking at, um, back in chapter 5, starting in verse 17, Jesus introduces kind of this new paradigm, this new way of looking at rules and scripture. And what we refer to when we look at our Bible as the Old Testament, and Jesus says, what you've looked at in the past as being all the rules, I'm here to fulfill all of that. And Jesus has said that he comes in, and he doesn't change it, he doesn't make it go away, but he takes it all and puts it in a totally different light because he completes it. And what we've learned and what we've seen over the last few weeks is that Jesus, by completing or fulfilling all the rules and all the commandments of the Old Testament, he transforms how we interact with Scripture and how we especially relate to the rules such as they are. Because Jesus says, because of what he's done in fulfilling all of God's promises and offering us a different, a new, a better way to relate to God, that he changes all of these rules, he changes all of the commandments, instead of becoming about our external performance, they become about an internal change, an internal transformation. That when we know God, that when we believe in what Jesus has done for us, that our desires, the very base level in our heart of what we want is transformed. And so instead of looking at, well, what do I have to do, that Jesus comes in and starts to change what I want to do. Jesus is saying that following him is having a heart that's transformed by his love as a result of the gospel, of what he, who he is and what he's done. Because he takes all of our disobedience, all of our rule-breaking, he takes it on himself. And he takes the punishment that we deserve, he takes our guilt, he takes our shame, and in place of it, when he takes that from us, he gives us his righteousness as a gift to us. And when we believe that, we're transformed from the inside out. And then Jesus, and so this is what we've seen over the last few weeks, and then Jesus gives several examples of this throughout chapter 5. And Brian, over the last two weeks, has done a really good job of helping us look at specifically how that relates to like, what we think about and how we deal with like anger and hatred and revenge and all of those really big kind of ugly ideas where when it's rules-based when it's all about, like, what do I have to do, then it's like, well, don't kill anybody. And we're like, I can do that. I won't kill anybody. I can follow those rules. Don't seek after revenge. I won't go for revenge. I'll just hold back. I want revenge, but I'm not going for it. And Jesus says, well, no, this is different. This is more. This is deeper. When you follow me, when you're transformed by my gospel, it's not about I'm just not going to kill anybody. It's about in my heart, I'm not going to hate anybody. And You're like, well, that's hard. that's different and that's not just a rule I can follow because it's not an external thing it's an internal thing but Jesus says when you follow him when you believe in him he transforms your heart and you see the world in a different way and you see sin in others in a different way and when you see how Jesus has forgiven you then it leads you to to lead out in forgiveness towards others and it's a transformation that's much deeper and much bigger than just don't kill anybody and he gives other examples, and we don't have time because we're trying to, trying to get through this whole thing this summer, and I don't know, maybe we won't do it, but, but he gives other examples related to sex, and marriage, and, and honesty, and all these different things. And he ends chapter 5, and, and remember when, when Jesus was speaking, there were no chapters, okay? So this, was, this is Matthew's kind of writing out what Jesus taught about and then the chapter and verse divisions were added much, much later, but but verse 48 of chapter 5 says this, you therefore, speaking about his followers, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, which seems like an impossible, an impossible standard. And it is. And that's kind of the point. The point of what Jesus is teaching here is that the standard of what it means to follow God is impossible on our own and in our own power because it goes much, much, much deeper than just our external performance. And so as we move into chapter 6, he actually is going to take this even deeper because the question that I start to think is, Jesus is teaching all this is like, okay, I get it that like there's more to it than just not killing people I get that but I read chapter 5 and it sounds like it's just more rules in a certain sense and what Jesus says next goes even deeper than that because here's what we need to see and here's what I hope we're going to see today following Jesus is not just about what you do it's about why why do you do what you do, Following Jesus, and when Jesus says you have to be perfect, he's not just talking about what you do. He's talking about why you do it. Motivation matters. Now, like I said, this is going to sound, and it is, an incredibly high standard. What I want you to hear today, and stick with me, please, please, please stick with me, because what I want you to hear is that there's a promise here of something much, 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 better. That this is not, and as we look at Jesus' teaching, it's going to sound like he's saying every time you think you've got it right, you should probably check again because you probably have it wrong. That Jesus is not here trying to condemn us. He's offering us an invitation to something so much better, okay? So hang with me, but I want to look together and see how Jesus takes this into the realm of motivation, and start asking ourselves, and maybe we can start asking ourselves as we get into this, why do we do the things we do? Why do you do the things you do? Why do you make the choices you make? Not what are the choices you make, right? That's the level where most of us would like to be, because that's the level that's easiest to see, it's easiest to make sure, you know, like we've said, it's easier when it's external, it's so much easier when it's external because I can be like, I haven't killed anybody. And so check and I'm good, right? And, and so that's so much easier. But when Jesus starts digging deeper and we start digging deeper and we start asking, well, why? Why? What is the level of why you are, why are you doing the things you're doing? Beware, he says in, in chapter six, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to, here's the motivation, in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Verse, chapter 6, verse 1, and, and this is kind of a pattern we see. This was very similar to what we just looked at over the last three weeks, where Jesus gives this kind of general principle, the big picture principle, and then he goes down and drills down into some examples, and we're going to see several examples as we look at this. The big picture principle is this. We need to watch and we need to be thinking, why are we doing the things we are doing? Are we doing them? for other people's approval. So when I was in high school, um, I was on the speech team. I know that makes me really cool, Um, but I I actually love the speech team. I'm proud I was on the speech team, so stop laughing at me in your hearts. Um, I was on the speech team in high school, and um, four years, no, okay. If you ever want to hear me go on and on for hours about it, I'd be happy to some other time, but just, just this is the only part I want to share about being on the speech team. Speech, as a competition, is, is very different than sports. Shocker. Um, it's very different than sports in, in multiple ways. And one is that the, the judging of it, the scoring of it, is totally subjective. There's, you go in a room, you speak, there's a judge, and the judge ranks you uh, against other people. And um, because that's true, so we'd go to these speech meets. They were all day long, and you'd be at this school, and you're, there. there's, times when you're in a competition when you're in a round that's very dedicated you're very focused but then the rest of the day there's a whole bunch of high school kids just hanging out in this high school just being high school kids and our coaches always told us you have to be careful you have to be careful because there are always judges around even if you're not in a round being judged they see you all the time and so your behavior outside of the round can influence their opinion of you when you get into a round and so you need to be aware this was the the you know what our coaches taught us and, and I very much took this to heart. The, the phrase that my coach always used was this. You are always on stage. Now, specifically meaning when you're at a speech meet, but when, when, when we're there, from the time we get off the bus and time, the time we get back on the bus at the end of the day, you're always on stage. I took that to heart as because I was hyper competitive I wanted to win and so I would do whatever I had to do to win so when I was there I was little mister high school professional always trying to be professional Um, because who knows who was watching who knows what opinion they might be forming of me and so in my mind and in my behavior I was like I have to make sure that my behavior is acceptable to all these potential judges who are around me I lived my life as if I was always being watched and always being judged. And I adjusted my behavior accordingly to make sure that the judges would approve of me. Now, I would like to say that that was something limited to my high school speech team experience. And I would like to believe that anybody who wasn't on the speech team, which I know is the vast majority of the citizens of the United States of America, I would like to believe that that's not true for for any of the rest of you. However, however, I think if I look at my own life, if you look at your own life, if we're honest, most of us live that way most of the time. We live as if we are always on stage. Uh, Shakespeare, who was a writer, you may have heard of him, um, in his play As You Like It, one of his characters says, all the world's a stage, and all the men and women are merely players. We're actors. All of us are performing. All the time. This is our performance. And everybody around us is our audience. Is that true? Are we all actors? Is all of life one big performance? Here's why I bring that up, actually. Look at what Jesus says Um, in verse number two he says when you give to the needy sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues look in verse five he says when you pray you must not be like the hypocrites jump down we didn't read this part but this is his third example is fasting verse 16 when you fast do not look gloomy like the hypocrites he uses this word hypocrite over and over and over again hypocrite is a word that all of us um have it's a very negative word like we all hate hypocrisy when we define hypocrisy the way it's commonly defined we have a tendency to think of hypocrisy meaning uh, either somebody who says one thing and does something else right oh that person's so hypocritical they say they believe this but they act like this or or we call a, someone a hypocrite if they have different standards for themselves and someone else right You should do this. I get to do it this way. Oh, that's so hypocritical. Actually, the word hypocrite, the way Jesus is talking about the word hypocrite is a little bit different. Jesus is talking about hypocrite um, more in line with the original meaning. The word hypocrite, as Jesus uses it here, comes from a Greek word, hypocrite. Um, And that Greek word, hypocrite, was the word for an actor. Literally, it was an actor. It comes from... If you're here, you hear I know you love these word study kind of things, but um, it comes from the idea the the when you break down the parts of the word it means to speak from beneath or to speak from underneath. Um, and it came because in, in ancient Greece and in, in Jesus' day actors wore elaborate masks and so their voices were coming from underneath their mask. So I was preparing this sermon and I almost called it drop the mask, and then I thought, wait a second. That could be taken totally wrong. Um, so anyway, when, when Jesus is talking about hypocrites, he's talking about, he's saying, don't be an actor. Don't be a performer. Don't be, don't be doing the things you do in a way that, that your whole goal, your whole intention is to be seen and approved of by the people around you. We we all have a tendency to do that. We all have a tendency to live on stage. We all have an impulse to seek attention, positive attention for our actions. We care what other people think. Some of us will, will stomp our foot and swear up and down, we do not care what other people think. But researchers have seen that even the people who are most adamant about saying they don't care what other people think, their attitudes, their behaviors change based on their perceived uh, opinions of other people around them. Specifically, uh, researcher Mark Leary says that we all have what he calls a sociometer. In us, we have a gauge that's measuring all the time what people think of us. And we're constantly asking, am I measuring up? Are people approving? Do they like what I'm wearing? Do they like what I'm saying? Am I acceptable to the people around me? The ironic or sad or however you want to say it thing about our culture today is that, uh, you know, there's a lot of modern technology that has given us a very concrete way of quantifying our sociometer. We can gauge based on likes and shares, how we are doing as far as impressing other people. And it's sad, it's tragic when we read stories of people who have gone into deep depression, and even at times taken their own lives because a picture they posted didn't get enough likes, or as many likes in comparison to somebody else. We see that and we think, how can it be like that? But then we look in ourselves, And we see that we all have a tendency. It's a very human tendency to care what others think about us. And so what Jesus is doing here, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is warning us, be on guard. Specifically, specifically, in verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. The examples Jesus gives of giving, praying, and fasting, lead us to believe that specifically what Jesus is talking about here, as far as being a hypocrite, being an actor, performing for other people, has to do with what we might call um, religious activities. Things that are good things to do. Giving to the needy, that's a good thing to do. Praying, that's a good thing to do. Fasting, that that is a good thing to do. And Jesus isn't saying in any of these examples that we shouldn't do any of those things. What he is saying is, look closely at why you're doing the things you do. When you give to the needy, this is verse two, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. When you pray, verse 5, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Verse 16, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. He's saying, look, the motivation... The motivation of the hypocrite. And we're just going to say, I mean, as we go through this, we're all hypocrites, okay? This is a really easy passage to look at and be like, yeah, those people. This is us, okay? So the motivation of us, the motivation of the hypocrites, is to be seen. To be seen by others. And, and, and how do they do that? In their giving, he says, by sounding a trumpet this is a metaphor obviously um, but he's talking about the idea of making it clear to others i'm giving look how much i'm giving boy this is a sacrifice but i'm going to do it because i want you to be blessed it's that making a big deal about it so that other people will look at you and say wow you're so generous wow that's so incredible it's the idea of praying in a (laughs) in a very public way in the most um Outwardly focused way possible to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others the idea of praying in a way I don't know if you've ever this is hard um, have you ever prayed like out loud I don't know maybe with your family or with friends in kind of a, a passive aggressive prayer do you know what I mean by that God Please, please help us as a family to stop being so unkind to each other. Please help us to just forgive when dad messes up. You know, and like, it's like, at that point, it's like, I'm not even praying to God. I'm praying so that people will hear me, right? I'm, oh man, I'm on an island right now. Um, <laughs> I, those hypocrites. Those people. Um... Jesus is saying it's that that idea of praying to be heard. With fasting, it's the idea of, again, you're giving something up. You're forfeiting something. And so trying to make it obvious how upset you are about this, how sad you are, looking gloomy, disfiguring your face. In fact, he even gives the impression here, the the way he talks about fasting is like going beyond just what's naturally happening, like I'm hungry, to like I'm going to rub some some dirt on my face and actually look wow you look really rough yeah i'm fasting it's hard it's really hard it's that idea of i want attention i want to tell people what i'm doing so that they see me and tell me how great i am the motivation jesus is talking about the motivation is clear it's to have approval it's to boost your reputation. It's to have other people look at you and say, wow, you are so spiritual. The problem that Jesus is pointing out is not that we do these things. It's honestly, it's not even, okay, and I want to be clear on this. It's not, Jesus is saying, it's, the problem is not even that other people know we do these things. Like if you give, people are going to know you give because you're giving to someone, right? That person has to receive the money so it's not like you can't 100 percent, completely and totally secretly give he's not saying that you shouldn't pray publicly there are passages in the new testament where it talks about praying and, and where jesus prays publicly where the apostles pray publicly it's it's not wrong to pray in public it's not wrong to pray out loud He's not saying you shouldn't fast Look, he says, and when you fast. He says, when you give, when you pray. And he's not saying that you shouldn't, that, that, that no one can know about it. What he's asking you to do, and what he's saying is we have to be aware of our motivation. Why are we doing it? It's the whole reason we give so that people will know we give. Is the whole reason we pray so that people will hear us pray? Is the whole reason we fast so that people will see us fasting? And here's what Jesus says is the big problem there. Because you probably will get exactly what you want if you go in that direction. Look at what he says. Uh, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others... Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 5, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 16, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Here's what Jesus is saying over and over. Like in each of these examples, if your goal is to get approval from other people, you probably will get it. If you want people to hear your elaborate and poetic and beautiful prayer and be impressed by it, they probably will. If you want people to be impressed by how much you're giving, they probably will. If you want people to be in awe of your discipline when you fast, they probably will. And that is what you will get you will get human approval how is this a warning jesus because that's exactly what i want <laughs> i want people to look at me and tell me i'm great and you're saying if i do these things with that motivation they'll look at me and they might believe that i'm great i don't see the problem here the problem is this and where jesus is taking us is this human approval is a trap it's an absolute trap it's based on your performance and when your performance starts to sag so does the approval politicians have approval polls no politician has ever had an approval poll that if you plot it out over time is an absolute straight line human approval ebbs and flows it rises and it falls And that's not just true for politicians. It's true for all of us. If we're living our lives trying to impress other people, the bar of what it takes to impress them changes. And you can't keep up. And past performance is not good enough to maintain you on into the present and into the future in people's minds. Your sociometer is always going to be changing. What was good enough yesterday will be forgotten tomorrow. Somebody else is going to come in and do it better. Or you're going to mess up and wipe out what you did before. And the people who were so quick to praise you because you had really nailed it before are going to turn on you in an instant because you're not maintaining your level of performance. You will constantly, we will constantly, I will constantly be asking, how am I doing today? How is my approval today? I know you liked me yesterday. Do you still like me today? And no one can promise you they're still going to love you tomorrow. Because who knows what you're going to do then? Human approval is ephemeral. And so Jesus is warning us here, don't live your life seeking the approval of others. It's a trap. Even if you get it, it won't last. Instead, he says, take a different path combat your tendency to seek out human approval, not by not doing any of those good things, but to do them in a way that pushes away from human recognition. Step down off the stage. Look at what he says, verse 3. When you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's a metaphor. It just means don't be obvious about it. So that your giving may be in secret. Verse 6, when you pray, go into your room. Shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret. Verse 17, when you fast, anoint your head. Wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who is in secret. Here's what Jesus is saying. What if, what if you did those same things and nobody knew about it? What if you gave anonymously? What if you prayed silently? What if you fasted, but fasted in such a way that absolutely nobody knew it was happening? That you actually acted, acted, just as healthy just as vibrant as when your stomach's full what if you stepped away from anything that would allow others to approve of what you're doing and just did it for the sake of doing it now as we're reading through all this I think there's a part of this and I'll be honest as I was putting this together this week I kind of struggled a little bit because I was like some of this seems really really obvious like I mean I say we all struggle with it but at the same time I don't think there's any of us who's like huh hadn't thought about that we know that living our lives for human approval is not good we know that human approval is not permanent and it shifts we know, I think, if we think about it, that the best way to fight against living our lives for human approval is to live our lives in a way that doesn't seek out the approval of others. Like, there's a, there's a piece of this that you're just like, yeah, I get that. So why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult for us to walk away from our hypocrisy? For us to stop trying to broadcast or demonstrate to everyone how righteous we are, how good we are, the good things we've done. Why is that so hard? I think, I think, the more I looked at this, because most of us stop there, at the part we've read so far. And we don't go this extra step because there's one more sentence to each of those verses. Verse 4, so that your giving may be in secret. Look at the next part. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. In verse 6, pray to your father who is in secret. Look what it says. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 18, your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Hear what Jesus is saying here if we if i if you look at this what jesus is saying as don't do this don't do this this is bad don't do it it's like okay but i mean it's all i know like to me if i'm not living for human approval how will i know if i'm approved if i'm not living to bolster my reputation what happens to that that joy i get from having a good reputation if i'm not living for others then, then what am I living for? What Jesus is saying here is there is something so, so much better. So much better. The teaching that Jesus is giving here is not just a negative teaching, a don't do this. It's a look, there is something so much more beautiful, more fulfilling there's a deeper kind of approval that doesn't shift and change based on what others say or how others feel from day to day. There's a higher kind of recognition that is more fulfilling, that is longer lasting, that is ultimately more satisfying. That the reward that comes from our Father the love of knowing God and being known by God is so much deeper, so much more transformative, so much better than anything we could have here and now. It's so hard to believe that. Because right now, if you look around this room, you see a bunch of people. I see all of you. I don't see visually God. And the reward that Jesus is promising doesn't have the immediacy of the approval and the feedback that we can get in a conversation. You post, you know, that picture of your open Bible and your cup of coffee and this verse that you read today and what it meant to you, and somebody can like it right away and comment on it right away, and you got it. Boom, you're good. You know, you, you read your Bible and you pray alone and you don't tell anybody about it. You don't always feel transformed in the moment. How many times have we said, I'm going to start this spiritual routine, this, this, this sort of holy habit, I'm going I'm to read scripture, I'm going to pray more, I'm going to give more, and we start doing it and we don't feel like this immediate change or transformation, and we're like, wait, I thought this was supposed to, to be really good for me. I thought this was supposed to like grow me or make me feel this connection to God. And we don't feel it right away. It's frustrating. We want what we want now. And the easiest way to get that is to find it in other people. So I'm not getting what I want, so I've got to go somewhere else to get it. What Jesus is saying here is that, okay, you can do that. You can take the shortcut. To approval. You can get human approval. It's, it's not as good. It's really not. It doesn't last. It's not as deep. It's not as transformative to your soul. It's just going to keep you on a treadmill of performance for the rest of your life. But you can do that, and you'll get it. But what I want you to know, what Jesus wants you to know, is there is actually something The call that Jesus makes, the call to follow him, the call to obey, the call to obedience is a call to faith. It's a call to trust. To trust him that there is something more. There is a deeper and better and richer reward in following him than anything you can get from anyone else. That faith is not a blind faith. When he calls us to trust in him, when he calls us to follow him, he's not asking us to just hope maybe something good will happen. What he's asking us to do is look back at what has already happened. What he has already done for us. He sacrificed his own life out of love for us. So that we could be forgiven. And he says, If I am willing to give everything to call you to myself, can you trust me when I say that this way, this way of living, this way of following me is better than what you would come up with on your own? Is it possible that God, is it possible? That the God who loves us, the God who sacrificed his own son for us so that we could be reconciled to him, is it possible that that God knows better than me, knows better than you what will make you feel fulfilled? Look, none of us, none of us has pure motives. I'm going to talk about motivation. None of us has pure motives. But God's motivation for us is pure. God's motivation for us is his love for us. His call for us to obey is for our best, even when we don't see it. I want you to hear two things as I wrap this up. Number one, what Jesus is offering here. I I don't want you to hear this and read this passage as a condemnation. Look, we're all hypocrites. It's true, we are all hypocrites. We all live for the approval of others. What Jesus is offering to us is freedom freedom from that weight of constantly worrying what other people think. And freedom, Jesus is saying, freedom is possible. If you've come to a place where you're like, I know that it's horrible, I know this is killing me, I know it's crushing me, but it is what it is. It doesn't have to be. There is freedom available in following Jesus. Here's the second thing I want you to hear, though. You will fail. And I will fail. We will fail. as I prepare and I pray and I think about the people who are going to be listening as I preach I think how many people have come in how many of us me included have come in this morning already feeling the weight of our own failure even in this area yeah I know I live too much concerned about what other people think So, for me to get up here and preach about it for for 45 minutes of just saying, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that, and all you're saying is, I know. I know. You're just making me feel like more of a failure. Here's what we all need to hear yes, we fail. That is why Jesus came to earth, that is why Jesus died. That is why Jesus rose again. Because of his death and resurrection, you can go to him, I can go to him with our failure. We don't have to hide it. We don't have to pretend. We can go to him and say, this is me, failing. I need you. And he loves us. And he doesn't ask, but how are you performing? And he doesn't say, well, get a little better, and then I'll love you. He doesn't say, well, start giving more. Start praying better. Go fast, and then I'll forgive you. Jesus' grace meets us right where we are. He loves us. Not because of our performance. Because of his performance. Because of what he did for us. And so if you hear nothing else this morning, please, please hear. Regardless of what anyone else thinks of you, Jesus died for you out of love. And if you trust in His sacrifice, if you put your faith in what He did, then you have an approval that is secure, that is unchanging, that is not based on you, it's based on what He did, and what He did will not change. And you can know that peace. You can fall on that love. I want to pray with you. I want to share communion together. I want you to know, I want you to know God loves you. Not because of what you do. Not because of what other people think of you. Because of what Jesus did for you. Will you trust in that today? Let's pray. We're going to share communion together. Heavenly Father, thank you God for your teaching thank you for preserving it for us in your word thank you for the ways that it convicts us that the way that it holds up a mirror to my soul helps me to see things that I don't want to see but I need to hear God I pray that all of us We'll trust in you. We'll love you. We'll we'll fall on you in a way that allows us to walk away from all of our empty attempts at approval. That we'll stop going through religious motions to try to please others or impress others. That we'll just serve you out of love for the love you've shown us. Help us to follow you in all we do. In your name I pray. Amen.